Welcome to episode 106 of Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavana, joined as always by David Smith. On this episode, it is NASCAR's All-Star Week. So naturally, we'll look at the other end of the spectrum. A detailed look at who's not doing well, what's going wrong, and if any of it is correctable. But first, our new tradition, a historical deep dive, David, this week into the sometimes-remembered reality game show, Roush Racing Driver X. This was a NASCAR reality game show on Discovery Channel that awarded a ride with Roush Racing to its winner. David, this was 2005, and to be honest, for everything I remember about NASCAR and all the love of racing I have, I I don't remember the show. I never watched it. I don't know how I missed it. Mid two thousands. I don't know what I was doing then. I was, I guess, out having a good time. I I don't remember this. I know about the Gong Show. The Gong Show was what is, you know, kind of a driver combine that was often referred to at Roush Fenway Racing that produced a lot of big names. But this actual reality show, Driver X, I don't remember this, David. But you do. Uh, I don't know if that speaks well about me now that, <laughs> that maybe I'm one of the few people who actually remember it. There was a casting call re- that resulted in 1600 applicants, 1700 applicants or 2000 applicants based on what website you look <laughs> up. Uh, that's what at least I found out today. It was whittled down to 25 contestants on this show. And yes, it was effectively the Roush Racing Gong Show. They could not call it the Gong Show because that is a trademarked name of the actual Gong Show. So they went with Roush Racing Driver X. 25 contestants, Alan. That is a lot. That is a lot for a reality elimination game show. More than and The Bachelor. I think I don't watch The Bachelor, but I think it's more than The Bachelor. <laughs> it, 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 it feels like that'd be a lot of bachelors roaming about. Uh, but among these 25 were some names that most of our listeners have heard of, like Justin Allgaier, David Reagan, and Matt McCall, now the crew chief for Kurt Busch. Other notable drivers included Bubba Pollard and Jeff Choquette. Both of them are national standouts at the super late model level. Michael Pickens and Bud Kading, dirt open wheel drivers. Matt Jaskell, a current part-time Xfinity Series driver, and a group of drivers who entered NASCAR because of this show, which included Eric Darnell, Danny O'Quinn, Pete Shepard, and Augie Vitovich. The contest was comprised of single lap testing at Martinsville. <laughs> okay. Uh, there was memory. Oh, don't, don't snicker. We'll go into that. Memory and mental acuity testing. There were mock interviews to understand each driver's marketing ability and then further testing at Darlington. The winner of the competition was Eric Darnell, and he earned himself a full-time truck series ride for 2006. He won this by beating David Reagan in a head-to-head 20-lap match race, hello, in a number 06 truck. So that does tie in with our episode number. Ding. But there's there's a, like a lot to unpack here. There was a reality show for a NASCAR 
ride. Alan, you didn't watch this show, so please, what questions do you have? Where where should we begin here? Well, I, I did go down the YouTube um, you know, hole and, and saw some of it. It was your standout mid-2000s reality TV, if, if that's... <laughs> If you can envision that, I mean, with all the drama and cuts and interviews and and creative editing and all that stuff, it was funny to go back and see some of these guys. I mean, Matt McCall was it was and still probably is an excellent driver. So to see him uh, competing for a ride, it's just, you know, knowing the sport, David, it's just a strange way to to think that this is how a driver was picked, you know, not based on uh, on a racing resume, really. I mean, what? Based on everything, I guess you need to be a driver. It was made for TV, which I don't know if is the best way to start a, a driving career around. I guess that would be my takeaway from it, right? That's one way of putting it. I think the 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 catch was you had to have something on your driving resume in terms of wins, championships, what have you, just to get on the show. That was apparently a very strict process. But Justin Allgaier was competing in ARCA at the time. So too was David Reagan. Matt McCall was a well-known late model champion in the Southeast at that time, competing in UARA. Uh, And I believe Danny O'Quinn was a Hooters Pro Cup Rookie of the Year. And that was a televised series. So he was a known name coming into this as well. And no coincidence, all of them fared pretty well to varying degrees. But you're right. There was a lot. There were some good parts of the show. I'm not going to just sit here and dunk on it. But there but there were things that were just inherently flawed. Uh, The single car laps did not do much to accentuate any driver's racecraft. A lot of drivers can cut a lap. Few of them have elite situational awareness. And racecraft is something that takes time to hone. And none of that was discussed in the show, really. And probably a lot of it was ignored by Roush because this was the way that they effectively scouted for young drivers. Now, breaking it down like they did, these were identically prepared trucks, kind of. So the lap speed is what stands out in single car testing. Weirdly, Alan, there was a grading system that comprised of math uh, and, and it accumulated subjective grades and the spotter that they used. And yes, there was a spotter for an empty racetrack uh, was Bobby Hudson, who was Carl Edwards spotter at the time. The entirety of his feedback on the show was, oh, he had a real good line or his line wasn't very good. And in fairness to him, Discovery Channel might have edited it down to just that. But when you're the only car turning laps at Martinsville, how much line variation is there really? And if it's different but fast, who actually cares that it's different? You know, so there's a lot that kind of was glossed over that probably would have been caught or questioned by a more serious NASCAR observer. It, I, I think that this show is fortunate in, in that it did not exist in the Reddit or Twitter era um, <laughs> because those things would have been called out. Well, what happened I, to scouting? I mean, is this, again, it was yeah. made for TV. This is a TV show. Was this at all a correct way to talent scout, if you will, or produce uh, the next great driver? identify the next great driver so okay so no 
No, but it's it's better than nothing. And I fear that, you know, Roush was at the forefront of the driver development movement, but this was for a long time the manner in which they were quote unquote scouting. They were having drivers come to them. And, you know, the gong show, I I, I it's a, it produced Kurt Bush, I guess. It also produced Nathan Haslow and Chuck Hosfeld. They were winners. And and and, it, and it, so it it's, you know, you're going to have a, a good winner sometimes, but what you're grading in this kind of system isn't necessarily what you're looking for between green flag and checkered flag, you know? So maybe it's not a coincidence that Kurt Busch can do very well on an empty track by himself and turning fast laps. He's a pretty fast driver, but it was, it was certainly coincidental that he also raced very well when there were plenty of other drivers that could cut a lap. And you said that this is, this is TV. Can I argue that this was really poor TV because you're a TV guy. (laughs) I think you would appreciate this. There were four or five episodes that they spent at Martinsville because again, 25 people, Alan, that's a lot. And it took a while to get through them all. And so it's four or five episodes of watching trucks turn laps by themselves on a half mile track. And that does not make for compelling television and discovery channel really didn't know what it was doing with its NASCAR product. There were some components that were interesting. The memory and mental acuity stuff I thought was actually fun. And in hindsight, it's telling that Matt McCall scored the highest. He's, he is now the Cup series crew chief among the group. Um, one part that I didn't particularly care for the mock interviews or any sense that marketing is on equal footing with driving, that is so mid-2000s. That is such a mid-2000 marketing philosophy uh, because none of it's true. It, it is it is not something that should ever write young drivers off, but here it was as a part of a tryout for a very serious NASCAR ride. And Helen, you can speak to this too because you've done some some driver media coaching, as have I. But not every young driver is going to sound mature. At times, it's going to be quite painful. Uh, I can't thank so-and-so enough has become the latest crutch for young drivers in post-race interviews. But eventually, they'll have more to say and they'll have more repetitions. And eventually, they can be coached. And not every driver is an extrovert. You know, we think about the the last two most popular drivers in NASCAR, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Chase Elliott, not necessarily the most outgoing in terms of personality, but their fans don't really care. Uh, at least when, when Dale Jr. was driving, he wasn't this, uh, this personality with a podcast and an entertaining Twitter account. He was, uh, introverted for the most part. And, and, and similarly, so was Chase. So I don't know that that is a death knell because what else did they do? They won, they won a lot. They won big races. Chase Elliott won a championship and that is, key here. Their names helped, but certainly if they weren't winning, they wouldn't be as, you know, seemingly engaging. And that's what marketers tend to lose sight of, uh, is that fans flock to winners above all. And that was completely ignored in this, uh, in this TV series. Yeah. I checked in with two of the the people, you know, having learned, you know, I just texted, uh, with Justin Allgaier quick and he just said, Oh, the stories that could be told. It was fun, but overkill and stressful. Wish I knew then what I know now probably wouldn't have done it. And then David Reagan, you know, we, we, we come to know David Reagan. He said, uh, that was a big deal for me. They cut and edited some of the sound bites to make me look a little cocky, which I don't think of when I think of David Reagan, but he did say it was his big break. So 
maybe there was something that came of it because David Reagan did go on to a successful career and multiple time winner in the cup series, but just funny to look back on. And again, go on YouTube, see some of these videos, see what these guys look like in 2005. It was, it's pretty funny to go back and look at. Yeah. And you know that there was, there's sort of an ironic part to this, uh, Todd Cleaver, who, if our listeners don't remember Todd Cleaver, he was the driver earmarked to replace Mark Martin. The first time, uh, Mark Martin was retiring he acted as a mentor on this show, and at times it felt like he was mentoring his future replacement, and that is absolutely <laughs> what happened because David Reagan yeah. did not win this contest on the show, but he leapfrogged uh, – he did join Rouse, and he leapfrogged Todd Cleaver in the pecking order and became the the driver of the number six. But one last thought about just the driver combines in general because we talked about this um, – on our, our podcast, uh, when Chris and Labani joined us, we talked about just you know weird hypotheticals that we want to see in NASCAR, different business ideas. And one of them I mentioned was the idea of a combine. The NFL does it. The NBA does it. There is a practical use to it if done properly. And I think what that properly means is that a combine is a snapshot of what an athlete offers, but it's not the whole picture. Uh, most of the context is missing. And you asked, you know, about the show, where was the scouting? I'm biased. I come from a scouting background. I think traditional scouting and a mix of analytics goes a longer way in understanding what drivers do, certainly more than one day of watching a driver turn laps at Martinsville on an empty track. Traditional scouting is a lot more work, but in this case, you want the big sample size and you want to turn over every rock when understanding prospects and what makes them tick. And being thorough is going to get you a better answer than any shortcut would. And if combines are used as shortcuts like this kind of was, they will fail. If they are used to confirm your thinking after scouting uh, these drivers traditionally, then it's a nice supplement. So there is a world in which this can be done properly. It can be properly done as a TV show. I don't know. But yeah, this one was uh, a great attempt. It's certainly a fantastic concept. I'm sure some of our listeners' ears perked up when we even mentioned the thought of it, um, but just executed poorly. And uh, yeah, in hindsight, lots of improvements that could have been made. Interesting stuff. Episode 106, a deep dive into Roush Racing Driver X. Something you know a lot more about if you've never seen it like myself. All right, let's get the episode started, David. When your business is starting its championship run, nothing matters more than finding and hiring the best team. With Indeed, you have the power to build a dynasty by hiring more MVPs faster. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through March 31st. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. No matter how the last game went, anytime you take the field, you got a shot at greatness. Give your team the best shot at winning by recruiting more MVPs with Indeed. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. 
Need to hire? You need Indeed. Uh, I like our note here. All aboard the struggle bus, David. This is the weekend to celebrate NASCAR's All-Stars, but it's also a good time for us to look at those not having the greatest season so far. A look at the why and a look at the what can be fixed, if you will. So, we're going to detail some of the struggles that, that some of these playoff-worthy drivers are having right now and see what, if anything, can improve. So we'll go through some of the drivers. And David, we're going to start with Eric Almarola, driver of the number 10, of course, for Stuart Haas Racing. You look back at 2020 as a whole, six top five finishes, 18 top tens, an average finish of 13.3. David, so far in 2021, we have zero top five finishes for Eric Almarola, one top 10, and an average finish of 25.3. Um, where do we start with this? You know, we talk about what's gone bad. He's crashed a lot. But even when he hasn't crashed, the performance has not been there, right? No top 20s since the end of April. This is not the 10, you know, Eric Almirola has never lit the world on fire in terms of wins, but this level of performance is not what we've come to expect of him. No. And if, you know, if you're asking what's gone bad, it's sort of the duo that you don't want to see on paper. You mentioned the crashing, his crash frequency has doubled. It's gone from once every four races last season to once every two races this season and the speed is, for me, the most important part here. Um, we're going to talk about five drivers and teams in this segment. Eric is the slowest of the five. Um, his central speed last season ranked 15th. This year, he ranks 25th in Whoa. average median lap rank. That's a big problem. Um, it, and, it, and and I think this the, actually the speed is bleeding into this high crash uh, frequency because we're seeing a driver now, Marola, I think adjust to a different group of drivers and cars that he's seeing on a regular basis. He doesn't totally understand how to drive near them or around them and is potentially over driving without understanding the, uh, the peccadillos of, of some of these cars and is getting sort of caught in the wake. Is any of that correctable? You hear speed, you know, you think back to the shop, the engineers, the research, the data, the computational fluid dynamics, what have you. Is any of it correctable, David? Certainly, I would hope you can uh, you can correct the crashing, right? Uh, we've done plenty on crashing before. It is your fault if you're the driver. That's what we've come to uh, deduce here. But hopefully crashing is correctable. But speed, that's a different story. Is any of what ails the 10 team, is any of that correctable? Yeah, I'm really not sure because teams are always working to get faster, right? Even fast teams are working to get faster. So that could happen, but it's not something that we can count on. And if he's ranking 25th in median lap right now, does a jump to 8th or 9th seem realistic at this juncture? No. I, I don't I don't think so. So, you know, he he's in a lot of trouble and the crashing some of it is overdriving. Some of it is a lack of situational awareness, but it is elevated in a sense that this isn't typical of him. I had to go all the way back to 2009 to find a year with a higher Eric Almarola crash rate in the Cup Series. And while, yes, it should regress to a more palatable number, the damage is done 
Ellen. At this point, he has to win a race to make the playoffs. And he might have a decent shot at that in Daytona come August. But this is a deep hole that they are buried in. Consider this time last year, they were regularly driving near playoff teams. They made the playoffs on points, not a win. This is uh, atypical of the team and to to some uh, respects, the driver as well. You mentioned Daytona and just made me think, remember this all started in Daytona where he was something of a chic pick, right? To win the Daytona 500. And he was in that crash early at the front of the field with Alex Bowman. But it seems like there's at least one team every year that gets off to a bad start, right? And they just never recover. And it always happens early in the season and they just start digging themselves a hole. This year, it's the 10 team. Uh, they doing anything well, David. I mean, looking deep at the, the metrics, the analytics of it all, is 10 team, Eric Amarola, is anything going well? Any bright spot to maybe lean on in the second half? Yeah, they are tied for seventh in position retention on choose rule restarts, Eric Almarola is. Uh, he is also a positive passer with 28 positions created on non-drafting ovals. That's important to know because he was a minus passer in 2020, 22 positions worse than his statistical expectation on NDOs last year. Uh, Pit strategy is good. 56% retention last year is up to 70% retention on green flag pit cycles for crew chief Mike Boogeravitz. And honestly, looking at those two, uh, two or three bullet points, this is more of a technically and tactically sound team than meets the eye, um, but certainly a case in which speed is not accentuating the things that they do well. And uh, eventually, I mean, no disrespect to Eric Almarola, but we see Kevin Harvick taking what is also a slower than usual SHR car and putting it in a playoff position. There's a part, Ellen, in the first Iron Man movie where they're, uh, two scientists are trying to reverse engineer some Tony Stark technology. One of the scientists is failing. The other yells at him, why can't you do this? Tony Stark built this in a cave with a box of scraps. And the other scientist says, I'm not Tony Stark. <laughs> and in this case, Eric Camarola simply is not Kevin Harvick. But that doesn't mean that this team is just flailing about. They are better technically and tactically than what they show, but that speed is a killer and it's probably going to be the thing that keeps them out of the playoffs. Uh, would you say there is a fix other than just improve your speed as if it were that easy? <laughs> What's the fix? Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, I understand it, it would be reduce the crash rate and yeah. finish where you run because on these days where even if the speed isn't there, the result is going to be better than what you're showing. They're better than a 25th place race team. They just haven't shown it. Um, this is a fairly basic goal, but it would also go far in improving the optics of the season. All right. That's Eric Almarola's summing him up. What we have to, what he has to do to improve coming up uh, is they make the playoff push. Next up, David, Kurt Busch. 2020, seven top five finishes, 19 top tens, 13.4 average finish. 2021 so far, just one top five finish, three top tens, and he has an average finish of 20.4. This is Kurt Busch in the one car. 
you know, strange issue at Charlotte at, at the worst time. We talked about that. That's the, the, the 600 was the worst time to have a bad day given the point situation, right? And they had it finished damn near dead last with a strange engine issue that Jeff Andrews from Hendrick ultimately came back and apologized for. Uh, two other big crashes uh, throughout the season. What, what's going wrong from your eyes on one team? Well, for starters, the speed is down. Uh, ranked 10th last year, ranked 15th in average median lap this year. The team ranks 18th specifically on 750 tracks where Kurt is actually an efficient passer and a much better producer. Uh, his split is above 1.5. He holds a negative peer on 550 tracks, and that's where the Ganassi cars seem to be geared towards. Uh, so sort of a failure to maximize Kurt Busch's strengths there, I'll say. Uh, the crash frequency has more than doubled from 0.17 to 0.44 times per race. And the restart, something that we praise about him yeah. seemingly every season, it has gone, uh, at least from the non-preferred groove, from 52% retention to 32% retention. Uh, yeah, not the Kurt Busch that we used to know. There is uh, a lot going wrong, even outside of engine problems at Charlotte. All right. So again, we, we talk a lot of numbers and analytics and, you know, when things are swinging one way, they like maybe can course correct. Uh, you know, is any of this correctable? We like to ask. Uh, I think those restart numbers, you would think, can they sway back the other way? What else is correctable? The crashes, uh, the seven across six different racetracks is evenly distributed. I'll say again, some of it is overdriving. Uh, he spun on the Daytona road course. He spun at Coda uh, while occupying good positioning, if I recall correctly. If that can be cleaned up, it would eliminate the need for a harder correction, which I think is his restarts. For that, I'm not really clear on what's wrong. He's doing a lot of the things that he did last year. It's just the impact of his actions has diminished or the field has made strides on short runs and what was once his biggest, most identifiable strength isn't really much of anything anymore. Oh, and dare I be cliche and say he's still Kurt Busch, right? He hasn't forgot how to drive a race car. Um, but what, what is he? <laughs> what is he doing well? Because he is still Kurt Busch. So what is he? What what can you see find a positive for if he's trying to make a playoff push and maybe a fix for the second half? Uh, you know what? He is a positive passer. He has supplied over 29 positions beyond his statistical expectation on the non-drafting ovals. Uh, he was a minus passer on NDOs in 2020. So that's actually an uptick. Uh, position retention on green flag pit cycles is a strength for this team. Crew chief Matt McCall at nearly 74% retention. That is up from 49% retention last year. That is a big increase. That's the best retention Kurt Busch has ever had on green flag pit cycles since I started keeping up uh, wow. with that nine years ago. So for Kurt Busch, what is the fix then? We, we know he's still good, right? Or we know he still has the capabilities. Uh, embrace the long runs. You know, at this point, this traditionally has been a short run team, but the Kurt Busch we're seeing right now is a more efficient passer than he is a restarter. And if Matt McCall has embraced his inner Randy Cox, then let's let's ride it out. Uh, lest we forget, Bush's most recent win came last year at Las Vegas. He held the lead in a race that ended with a flurry of restarts. 
but he got that track position thanks to a long pitting strategy. So uh, not only do I think that's what it takes to turn the season around, I think that's what this team sort of is now from an identity point of view, uh, suited for races heavy on long runs, which in 2021 is the majority of them. When in doubt, rely on driver X alum, Matt McCall. Uh, That's a callback if you want to know what that means in the business. All right, next up, David, we'll check out Ryan Newman, number six driver of Roush Fenway Racing. Uh, We we go back to 2019 for this one because, you know, that was such a good year for that team and what you would expect out of the car. 2019, David, Ryan Newman had 14 top 10 finishes and a 14.6 place average finish it got him into the playoffs right and we know what happened to him at the beginning of 2020 so when you when you combine 2020 and 2021 five top 10 finishes a 20th place average right it seems like races go by and he doesn't even get mentioned because it's just an afterthought about what he's doing out there the last month has not been kind to him two of those were road courses of course but when he is on the oval it seems like he is earning the spot that he's finishing right in terms of speed what's going wrong with the six car Yeah, I think you just hit it. Uh, For one, the speed is is sort of, I mean, he overachieved in 2019. He was the 21st fastest car and he was made one of the 16 playoff spots. Uh, Dipped to 25th last year, 23rd right now. So some some ebb and flow there. Crashing. Uh, Last season and this season are similar. Uh, 0.52 last year, 0.5 right now. 2019, was one of the reasons that it made it such a remarkable season was that he rarely crashed. His crash rate for the year was 0.11, you know, once every 10 races or so. He only crashed three times during the regular season, and that was pivotal for making the playoffs. Right now, he's, you know, got kind of middling speed. He's crashing a lot. He's also a negative passer on the whole. Uh, Pass differential, 30 positions worse then his statistical expectation on non-drafting ovals and the one that's the biggest bummer, Scott Graves. This one hurts because he's on my fantasy team, but <laughs> the, but the position retention is actually up. It's up to 71% from 67% last year, but the positional net is a negative 11. Last year, Scott Graves supplied Newman a positive 100 position net. And without that, we are seeing this team not compete for finishes beyond their running whereabouts. Uh, and again, same thing that we, you know, we've seen what's gone right. We see what's going wrong now. So which out of those things is, is somewhat correctable that maybe could swing back in their direction? Because as we've discussed with a bunch of these so far, finding that speed, not going to be easy. So what can you do? Yeah, that that's not going to be easy. The crashes are problematic because that's kind of the whole key to Newman's consistency is, is not making those kinds of mistakes. But the easiest correction on paper is for Scott Graves to take some bigger swings with strategy. Uh, it'd help if there were more regular caution flags to throw some teams in different directions, especially late in a race. But that's just not something that he can will into existence. And I think for the purposes of, at this point, uh, getting a race win, because that's what's going to have to happen to get him in the playoffs. Good retention numbers just don't really cut it. Uh, he's going to have to go big or, or go home. And and I'm thinking, you know, call a race like you're a front row team. Call a race like you're Travis <laughs> Mack just to see what you can do. Because against some of those guys on those kinds of strategy, I, I actually like Ryan Newman's chances against some of them. 
Yeah. So what is he doing well? You know, if they can maximize the day, if they can correct something, what can they? What what strength could they lean on or exploit, if any? Well, Newman used to have a knack for producing good results relative to his running whereabouts, and that kind of isn't there this year because around him, it has become either more talented or just better. Uh, Daniel Suarez with Trackhouse Racing. Eric Jones is in the RPM car. Michael McDowell is feisty now on some of these tracks, and they're all in a similar whereabouts, and they're taking some pretty good swings at Ryan Newman. Um, Newman is a useful tool when trying to write out an aggressive strategy, which is that's sort of what makes it curious why Scott Graves really hasn't pushed all of his chips into the table in some of these races. But again, those options for aggression especially on short runs, they haven't really been there this season. This has been uh, a season of long runs, and Scott Graves was one of those drivers across the last two years really using close cautions, you know, kind of back-to-back to do some kind of the same stuff that we saw Rodney Childers do and Chris Gabehart do for Kevin Harvick and Denny Hamlin, respectively. He was doing that deeper in the field for Ryan Newman and having a lot of success. Those opportunities haven't presented themselves. So yeah, I think this is one of those situations where Graves is going to have to look at doing something on his own that's maybe outside of his comfort zone. Any one specific fix you would want to see or the team would need to see in the second half? Uh, I think it's all on Graves. And, you know, speaking for 2022, I I don't know if he's staying around to act as Brad Keselowski's crew chief, but he's worth considering uh, from a crew chiefing standpoint. I think this team winning the majority of races against those in that 20th to 25th place range would be huge. And it would require Graves to make those kinds of calls that I talked about, because if he does, then you know, he, he more closely resembles the modern crew chief as strategist that we've been seeing lately. And I think that becomes, uh, he becomes a more viable contender for the job once Keselowski is in the car, because he might want to stay around to see that one out. I think that could uh, have the potential to go very well. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting situation over there in the six car and Roush Fenway as a whole. All right, next up, another Stuart Haas racing car. Uh, Again, struggling the team just in general, struggling this year. Cole Custer, we're talking about 2020, seven top 10 finishes. Average finish, though, of 19.2 last year. And that just shows how one win can really just uh, skew maybe how we feel about how the team's going. Because last year, he was averaging a 19.2 place finish. This year, so far, just two top 10 finishes. 21.4 21.4 average finish uh, when you look at the numbers. Uh, David, w- what's gone bad? Or, I mean, that that's probably the, the smallest change we've seen in the teams we've mentioned so far. So are they much different than last year? Or how, how do you look at the 41 car right now? Oh, you've done your homework. That's mm. pretty that's pretty good. You're because you're right. It's a it the the change is negligible, really, when you're we're looking at it on paper because the speed is down, but it's only from 21st to 22nd mm. in ranking. The restarts, though, and and mind you, that was an important part of his win at Kentucky last year. He was a 58% position defender on restarts. He is now at 44% on choose rule tracks specifically. And the retention uh, on green flag pit cycles is down from 82% to 67%. Of course, Mike Shiplett was 
a breakout strategist beloved on motorsports analytics in 2020 with over 100 positions gained on behalf of Custer, only 16 to this point in 2021. Okay, so again, maybe maybe they can correct that. But when you're looking at this young driver who is in a similar situation, you know, speed wise and finish wise last year, what what is correctable? Because they haven't really improved on last year, right? So how are they going to get the ship righted now? Yeah, well, it it would help if Shiplet called races, you know, the way that he called them last year. That that would certainly help things. But let's talk about Custer's restarts. He needs more of them frankly, uh, inside the first five rows or so his participation in them is down Mm -hmm. this year. Uh, so when he does get up there and make restarts against better teams, he's not used to the latest tricks of the trade. And that has an effect. Uh, these cup guys, all these drivers learn pretty quickly and he's not up there. Typically he's missing out on driving against some of the best restarters in the sport right now missing out on kind of the educational process that he's going to need to see. So it's something that can take some time, but I think if he has more repetitions, it, it sort of unfolds from there. He, he has more attempts. He eventually sees what he needs to do and becomes a better restarter because of it. I think the second half of the season is focused more on making Cole Custer better as opposed to sturdying up the stats. Give me one bright spot for either Cole Custer or the 41 car as a whole. Um, ooh. The is, crash is anything frequency. going well? Okay. I was yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, <laughs> the, the, cra- the crash frequency has decreased. Uh, Custer is actually one of the cleanest drivers in the Cup Series. Um, and, but he was pretty clean last year. Uh, it, the, the rate has decreased from 0.22 to 0.13 times per race. And you know what? He's a positive passer right now on 750 tracks, and that is both ovals and road courses. He actually entered the Sonoma race last weekend as the most efficient road course passer, not named A.J. Allmendinger. So I think that's a pretty good bullet. All right. Well, luckily, they're going to more road courses in the the rest of the regular season. So uh, what what would you point out as the fix? You pointed out maybe some strategy uh, recalling Mike Shiplett's strategy skills. Anything else uh, they can do in the second half of the season? I don't know if there is a fix to be had uh, because I don't know that it's totally necessary. It's always good to improve, but... You hit it on the head when you said the win at Kentucky last year raised this team to a place of prominence where they really had no business being. Custer had a zero peer last season. It was his rookie season. This year through 16 races, it's a .625. So on paper, he's heading in a positive direction. Yeah, wow. Of course, the average finish could be better. But realistically, this is just slight regression from a team that probably overachieved, or at least that's the perception. That well, uh, that, That's my question. How much did that win skew our perception and or expectation of Cole Custer? If he didn't have the win last year and be a playoff driver, would we think of him different right now in terms of what he's doing? I think that we would. Yeah, I, I think that the, the, the playoff participation, the win, yeah, maybe it unfairly raised some expectations that folks are having in reality he's probably caught up in whatever is happening to shr right now his speed has hasn't been impacted much because they weren't particularly fast 
last year either. But from a driving standpoint, he's a he's a better driver. It's not, you know, one-to-one everything has improved, but you can see a driver improving his ability to get results with this kind of speed in addition to becoming a good passer. And look, the road course thing, something that we said at the beginning of the season was a weak spot for Custer in his past, um, has been a strong suit in 2021. All right, good stuff. We'll see what they can do in the second half or post all-star race. David, a late add to our lineup. Matty D, Matt DiBenedetto, because they have made a crew chief change over at the Wood Brothers and 21 car. Uh, So let's talk about, we'll ask all the same questions. We'll first go over last year. Three top fives, 11 top tens, average finish 14.8. So far in 2021, Two top fives, which surprised me to look back like, when, when the hell were those? Three top tens and an average finish of 18.1. So clearly there has been uh, some backtracking there. But David, you know, I think of him now as a fringe playoff contender. And that's what he was last year. I mean, he started off good in 2020 and kind of really backed his way in. They, they weren't, what I'll say is at the end of the regular season, they were not performing at the best level, right? They, they backed their way into the, that playoff spot. Now he's almost dug himself out of a huge hole that they started in. And they feel like, to me anyway, it feels like they're kind of in the same position, a fringe playoff contender. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's a lack of sustained success. They 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 can't when they're up, they can't seem to stay up. So that 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 makes some sense. Um what what's going wrong right now? The speed is down. Uh ranked 16th last year, 19th this year. His crash frequency has more than doubled uh from 0.17 to 0.38. Negative passing across the board at all track types, just getting crushed on long runs and in races ending with long runs in which he has a negative peer. The crew chief is out, but it bears mentioning Greg Irwin, 40% retention on green flag pit cycles last year. So this was a problem last year. It only improved to 50% this year, but that's nowhere near the series wide average. Uh, his 41 positions lost on behalf of De Benedetto is among the worst nets in the series. We saw Greg Irwin run the 21 car a lap down during the first stage in the Coke 600, which... Uh, was a race that for anyone outside of Hendrick, the goal was to stay on the lead lap through the early stages, and they made a puzzling call that proved incorrect, and they completely whiffed on staying on the lead lap. Uh, coupled with the driver's poor long run ability, the crew chief contribution compounded the problems with this team. But as you have mentioned, Penske and Wood Brothers took a big whack at correcting at least uh, one of the issues this week. Yes, and that's with a crew chief change over at the 21, as we were talking about. So is that, uh, I, you know, we've been asking what is correctable? Is, is I guess that was step one, right? If they feel they have to make a correction, change the crew chief. Anything anything yeah. else on your list, David? Yeah, but now the onus falls on Jonathan Hassler, who's, who's now the new crew chief of the 21. If he's just as bad a strategist, then the same problems exist. Uh, the team that Hassler is inheriting is not bad. It is a team with top 20 speed that is still technically in playoff contention. So all is not lost. The driver is not bad. But the combination of this driver, this car, and the former crew chief was absolutely dreadful on long runs. Part of that is crew chief, but part of it is the driver. And any correction from any part of that would go a long way. So there is a very real opportunity for Jonathan Hassler to step in and make a difference. 
All right, so that's good. So we'll see what they can do, you know, post-All-Star race and when they get together. What is Matty D doing well? Or what What can you pinpoint on the 21 team uh, as a whole, either the car or the driver? Oh, you you know what it is. It's it's the restarts. It restarts? It's, yeah, it's tied for seventh in retention on Choose Rule restarts. He ranks first specifically on 550 tracks. Uh, so he's a well-established short-run driver for a team that, appears at least statistically to go as its driver goes okay and so a fix or what what do you pinpoint for the second half of the season for the 21 car because again they're on the fringe they have worked there they've dug themselves out of a huge hole already but they got to maintain it if they're going to make the playoffs with you know sans victory if you will they have to maintain some of the positive parts what is the fix for the second half of the regular season yeah, you said digging themselves out of holes. They also need to stop digging new holes. There you because go. <laughs> that, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of what it is. The strategy has to improve, and that's the easiest fix to make. Um, maybe Matt Benedetto isn't a long-run driver, and certainly not a dominator, but in theory, the crew chief can supplement that, and that hasn't happened. And especially for Benedetto, because weirdly, his peer on 550 tracks is above a 2.0. 750 tracks are his worst of the two splits. So there's a team here that, uh, and that's present in the sum of its parts, that could do just fine on 550 tracks, and that might be enough. It just hasn't been properly put together. All right. Well, we'll see what the new pairing can do um, and send the 21 team in a different direction. David, that wraps it up. That wraps up uh, our, our edition here of teams and what they need to do and, and the fixes that they need to find. I thought that was a lot of good data and nuggets. So a good episode for episode 106 of Positive Regression. Don't forget, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary, TuneIn, and YouTube. We are available no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at posregpod.com. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or review. That stuff helps spread the word. We, of course, notice, and it is so appreciated. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Reach out at Twitter on posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. David, you are always working hard. Love all the stuff you're churning out. What do you got this week? This week on NBC Sports, I'm writing about Cliff Daniels. Uh, crew chief for Kyle Larson. Uh, you know, with all the success that Kyle Larson's had, it's also towered over the emergence of Daniels, a young crew chief who, by all intents and purposes, could be the next great crew chief in NASCAR, uh, whose strategy has improved by leaps and bounds over last season. So I gave that a look. Uh, also, I gave a look to some of the best short run racers in the NASCAR Cup Series that leads into the all-star race at Texas, which will end on at least a 10 lap final run. Uh, so I think that will be a piece uh, this weekend that could prove timely. All right. Good stuff there for myself. Make sure you check out my Twitter account at Alan Kavana for everything I'm up to. No fantasy this weekend for the all-star race. So that is sad, but make sure you check back on your team next week. Uh, check out my stuff for speed sport. The quick hit segment will preview the upcoming weekend of racing. And there is a lot, a lot of cool stuff going on at Eldora where Kyle Larson will race twice for the dream. There's two dream events and Kyle Larson is racing all four days at Eldora. 
before heading. So we're previewing all that, previewing all the, the midget week in Ohio, uh, NHRA. It's a, it's a good video. Make sure you check it out and know what's going on this weekend in all forms of motorsports. Check that out at Alan Kavana on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. So, uh, but thank you. Thank you for listening to Positive Regression. A lot of good stuff here on episode 106 for David Smith. I'm Alan Kavana. Have an awesome weekend. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forest Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations.